Welcome to a very mindful podcast. I'm your host, Aurelian. In this episode, I speak with my good friend, Dan Lehman, a meditation practitioner and guide for university staff at the Technical University in Eindhoven. We discuss why one would purposely seek discomfort, the difference between pain and suffering, how meditation can help reduce suffering while one can use painful experiences to empower oneself through detachment. We further explore how the self could be conceived as an illusion and what is meant by self. And finally, what can be concluded on whether humans truly possess free will. I'd say this was amongst the more difficult conversations I've had on the podcast. And I think Dan and I do a pretty good job at analyzing the fundamentals of these more complex questions. It's been one of my favorite conversations so far. So here it is. Enjoy. I am very glad to be sitting here with my very best friend, Dan Lee Lehman, everyone. Uh, so thanks, Dan, for, for coming on the podcast. It's an honor. For the people who might not know what it is exactly that we're going to be discussing in this episode, um, I wanted to give maybe a little rundown because this episode, compared to maybe previous ones, is going to be a bit more, let's say, a bit less straightforward, uh, maybe a bit more abstract ideas that a bit harder to grasp. But that is exactly the point of this, because when in your meditation journey, let's say, you will come across problems that you'll have to you'll have to resolve for yourself. And the ones that I, I we're going to talk about today are really, really key issues. I mean, that, that at least that's how I see it. Key issues that if you are able to make sense of, you'll 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 go much further in your meditation journey. So so here we are. Um, and the very first thing that we're going to talk about is um, is seeking discomfort and how to kind of reconcile maybe pain or suffering uh, with. Uh, your meditation practice. Um, maybe we'll we'll go into differences of what what, what pain and what suffering means. Uh, there, there is a distinction, and I'd love to go into it. And and of course, in Buddhism, pain uh, and uh, suffering is like it's like the key thing that is in, uh, in the. I think it's called the three universal truths in Buddhism. The first one is like basically suffering. The second one is. Uh, uh, impermanent impermanence and and the third one is uh is is called not self in the buddhist tradition it's basically the the absence or the the shedding of the self and uh again if this doesn't uh, spark a light bulb in you yet it's fine we'll we'll dive deeper into it and hopefully by the end of of this episode you'll understand a bit more about this and um maybe we'll we're we're trying to bite more off than we can chew but whatever we don't talk about here i'll have an uh, a future episode about it so there's no problem there um but so dan uh <laughs> i've let i've left you silent for way too long already uh maybe just uh, give a brief introduction uh to the people who don't know you uh those very few people who don't know how famous and awesome you are tell us <laughs> a little bit about yourself so first, the, uh, the let's say, superficial part. I uh, grew up in Luxembourg, spent the first <laughs> 18 years of my life there. 
and now I've been a bachelor's student at the University of Eindhoven for the last two years. I'm studying electrical engineering. And uh, about a year and a half ago, I started to get into mindfulness. I started to practice meditation with an app. It, uh, it was at a time where I was quite lost and uh, emotionally hurt. And it, uh, it helped me a lot, really giving me the tools to regain a sense of uh, distance from, let's say, the negative emotions that I was experiencing chronically at that time. And, uh, and in the meantime, I've joined a, a group called Enter the Now that is very focused on mindfulness. It's a, a student association, and we organize many events, including weekly meditations, that's when I started to get into guiding meditations as well. And over the last a few months ago, anyway, I, uh, I also gave an introduction to mindfulness course to some of the faculty at my university. So that should give you an idea nice. of my experience. And, and, these, uh, and, and the faculty at your university, they're, they're older than you, right? They're, yeah, yeah. They're, uh, was the, uh, what, what are they? It, it, what's the experience of... Um, of, of teaching mindfulness to maybe people who are like twice your age. Yeah, it's very interesting. I, I didn't know whether I should mention my age to them on the, on the first day of the course because <laughs> uh, people might think that, that, that uh, there's less to learn if it, if it comes from someone that young. But, um, but yeah, it was very well received. I think they had a very open mind and uh, some people were really enthusiastic and really uh, practiced a lot at home and came with the right kind of questions that also challenged me. And that was very interesting for me as well because it made me think more deeply about mm -hmm. what I was trying to teach because it's a completely different thing when you when you learn something you kind of you only need a vague idea and it has to make sense in your head and that's then it's good enough for you. But if it has to make sense in someone else's head, you have to really think it through in different ways and rethink the purpose of what you're actually trying to teach mm. yeah of course but um there really is no no age limit towards uh thinking about these things and, no, and starting not. to meditate and things like that so so uh i think yeah i mean really really it, it breaks all the the age gaps and the maybe differences in experience and things like that these are just like fundamental questions uh i think that that everyone with with any sense, I would say, would uh, would would want to learn more about. So hopefully, that's sure. what what these listeners are are here are here for. We have a but, predominantly um, young audience, right? Yes, yes. Uh, mainly, mainly university students listening. Yeah. Then it's it's even more important, let's say, to get into mindfulness at that age because there's more neuroplasticity the younger you are, and so to kind of shape those highways towards a calmer self that is better able to deal with life it, the, the earlier you do it the more it'll serve you in life so it's a it's a good time to get started guys yeah, yeah i think so too uh so uh if if you need any emotion uh motivational coach uh dan is here for you <laughs> um but uh anyways uh you said earlier that your I don't know, your experience started maybe not in the best place or that, that basically um, uh, your, let's say, negative emotions drove you to learn more about mindfulness and learn more about, about the, you know, deeper truths that, that, that meditation can, can teach you. 
could you maybe give me like a more detailed version of that because i maybe for the, those listening obviously i know but like um why 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 did you get more into it well, so um <clears throat> i i was going through my first breakup and uh well on the receiving end of that of course and so uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's there's a lot of uh, psychological pain that can be associated with that of course and it's very easy to fall into um a vicious circle of, of just thinking bad thoughts that drive you into further bad thoughts and thinking oh why 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 have, been, have i been broken up with uh, am i unlovable or all those kinds of things that that your mind just throws at you and uh yeah meditation really served to to try to realize where that came from or to ask yourself where that comes from in the in the literal sense and I remember when I very at the very beginning when I was learning it, and like the first lessons are obviously focusing on the breath, just kind of honing your attention, your attention span, and your ability to pay attention. And then when when the time came to to introduce thoughts as a as an object of mindfulness and to realize that they come out of nowhere and that they just disappear into nowhere that really made me, gave me a deep understanding of, whoa, why, why do we attribute so much importance to something that our mind just throws at us at the most random time of the day that with, with no, <laughs> like there, there's no weight attached to a thought. It's just, it just flies through your head. It's you're the one who's choosing to attach a weight to it consciously or not. And so meditation mm -hmm. really allows you to pierce through that. So the, the breakup really made you aware of mental processes that were happening already up, up until that point, well, but that just made it really clear I, to me. I would basically. argue that, the, that you're actually quite unaware of the mental processes when you're lost in thought, because you're quite literally lost in thought. You don't even realize that you're thinking. You just, it feels like just a regular mode of being in your day-to-day. Hmm. That's very true. Um, I, we're gonna we're gonna dive deeper into that um, in a second. Uh, first, I want to ask you because in your in your let's say in your journey, also during COVID, um, you, there was there was a time where you got more into uh, seeking discomfort. Right, that's one of the themes of of this episode, and uh, getting more into basically pushing yourself out of your comfort zone and gaining something from it. So, first of all, like what exactly have you been doing in that in that uh, domain? Quite a few things, but uh, cold exposure would be one big one. Taking well, every every shower has been a cold shower, uh, but also going into cold lakes. I, I really hope that any Dutch person listening to us right now is thinking of Wim Hof <laughs> <laughs> because uh, he's he's the big one in this domain and yes. quite re really opened my eyes and. I'm sure yours as well, yes, right? Yes, I definitely learned a lot from uh, from listening to him. Right. So, so cold exposure. Is there anything um, else? Yeah, I mean, one one that hasn't been working so well during COVID, but that I strive to do more of in the future is to make myself more comfortable in quote unquote uncomfortable social situations. Just putting yourself out there a bit more and trying to let go of self concern and yeah 
pushing your comfort zone when it comes to interacting with strangers, for instance, that kind of stuff. Right, right. Yeah, no, that definitely that definitely counts, especially if you're uh, introverted. It can it can be a bit on, or it can take energy at least exactly. to to push yourself to to well, and and again, especially during COVID to yeah. maybe yeah, maybe strike a conversation with someone that you don't know randomly. Uh, whatever, or even, you know, doing groceries or things like that. Uh, but, uh, but in any case, there, there's that, but there's also two others that I'm, I'm sure um, we want to mention. Uh, one of them being uh, intermittent fasting. Uh, and sure. I, would, I would argue that that is a, a way that you've been pushing yourself, uh, you know, uh, I, let's say out out of your comfort zone. It might be in yeah. your comfort zone now because you've been yeah, doing it yeah, for so long. Yeah, that's why it didn't come to mind. Yeah, I've I've been eating one meal a day for about a year and a half now, and uh, one thing that was really interesting about that is actually letting go of beliefs. So like we we all well most people I talk to now I really have to justify why everyone just asks why do you do that <laughs> what the hell's wrong with you. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> hey, if if people are saying that, then you're up to something good. <laughs> exactly, that's my rule. That's how I know it's working. <laughs> but um, yeah, we we all a lot of us have the belief that you have to eat three meals a day, or that you're just going to go hungry if you don't, and that you're not going to function, and that you're not going to have energy to study, and not going to have energy to exercise. But really, the body just gets used to what you do with your body every day. And so I, I, most of the time I was exercising um, before my meal of the day. So I was 20 hours fasted. And the first couple of weeks were maybe a struggle. I was experiencing lightheadedness because I wasn't so used to it. But if you stick with it, your body really adapts. And then you, you're like, why, why did I have this belief that was limiting the way that I could live my life when when in fact there's there's so many other ways that are just not, say, popular or that aren't being pushed by breakfast companies <laughs> and, and the food industry at large. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's that's that's the whole purpose of seeking discomfort is to to be more freeing, to be more freed at the end. It's kind of mm-hmm. like this discipline equals freedom thing where if you put in some work or if you expand your comfort zone, suddenly you have the freedom to be more yourself and to find your own way, but also to, to have grown and be comfortable with more things. And if you do that in the right domain, it's, it's very advantageous. Right. right. Yeah. And, uh, and I was going to say, well, a big, a big theme in this area is also like just taking care of yourself health wise. Right. I mean, some people who might not be, uh, familiar with, uh, intermittent fasting or one meal a day, uh, OMAD, right. Um, well, they, they might think, okay, well, this dude doesn't know what he's doing. But actually, no, there, there is some science behind this that uh, it, is, it is healthier to eat less during the day, as in less meals a day. And then, and then in that one meal that you eat, you, well, you, 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 you binge on, on, on healthy food. That's important that you don't then switch to sure. high calorie, uh, greasy processed foods, right? But uh, another another area I would say that where you've you've definitely also again uh, like sought discomfort is uh, through like calisthenics right and and exercise so so these are these are three kind of uh, ways uh, cold exposure 
uh, calisthenics and uh, in- intermittent fasting and then all the, the the social aspect as well these are ways in which you've been pushing yourself and and it's 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 to the better right that's obviously the aim and so what i was gonna ask you was um what what exactly is this drive what why why would you in the first place why would you want to like go out of your comfort zone when it's so comfy inside right so and and of course um it's a testament to our time right that i have to ask this question i mean just to give you a little anecdote um or well anecdote more like uh, a video that i saw recently uh of this uh, the comedian jerry seinfeld is an old comedian if you don't know who it is, who he is just look him up on, on online but um he yes like there was a journalist who was following him in the streets and he was saying uh jerry jerry because he was jerry was going to work that day on, he was he was going on on his bike and they're like why aren't you paying an expensive uh car to go to work why and then and then and and he kept getting annoyed at the the journalist and the journalist kept insisting and said things like why why do you go to work at all i mean you're like a multi-millionaire uh you're hyper successful what is why would you still want to go to work in the first place and and he answers the, the best way he just goes what what exactly is he just gets so frustrated i love it he's like what exactly is your version of an ideal life like sitting at home watching tv all day like who are you because because there are so many people out there they're just working to get money to st- you know, have a uh, either, well, either have a roof over their heads and that's not their fault, but like, and then, but, but most of them aren't really, don't even see the point of like, wow, okay, I'm going to try to achieve things. No, the goal in our society has almost become this thing of like, oh, wow, uh, ideally I would have, in my ideal version of life, right, I would have all these luxurious things and that those would keep me happy and I wouldn't have to work, right? That's, that I would quit my job instantly. That's, that's just so backwards right people don't notice that mm-hmm. um yeah. and so yeah i apologize for the question but so for i don't know what what exactly why would you push yourself out of your comfort zone yeah well uh, like you just mentioned um that, that brings to me that brings up the, the discussion of hedonism versus kind of longer term satisfaction so hedonism is where you just give in to every single pleasure there is in each moment so uh, yeah, any any time you can, trying to get emotional highs and chasing after those, which you know at its at its far end is literally just getting high on cocaine every day, which is not good for anyone. <laughs> so a little bit of sacrifice um, in the present for a better future is always always the way to go because it allows you to to live a more examined life and to. And and what gives you satisfaction ultimately is to do something meaningful and to see improvement through time, basically. And so, yeah, I mean, it's very easy to become comfortable in your comfort zone. But if if you've just been watching Netflix for the last week, you feel like you haven't grown in any way and somehow that doesn't make you feel good about yourself. Whereas if you just go out and do things, even if it's... It's quite silly if you think about it to just go into cold water for the sake of kind of experiencing the, <laughs> the pain and, and changing. To feel anything. <laughs> yeah, to feel anything. <laughs> no, it, it makes well that makes me feel high on life in some ways as well. But yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the, and the, the mm. other thing is, and that's that's where the uh, 
social discomfort comes in that I was talking about trying to push myself to, to be more outgoing, let's say, is that uh, if you're scared of anything, slow and gradual exposure to that thing is the way to overcome fear of pretty much anything. I mean, even even physical right, allergies, right. they try to reintroduce food in microscopic doses and increase it over time mm. until you can tolerate whatever you were allergic to. And it works even better with the mind. So. Mm. Yeah, no, I was going to say um, it makes me think of, well, just uh, in, in therapy, exposure therapy, exactly. which is like basically when you're, yeah, when you're afraid of something, uh, let's say someone is, is hyper afraid of like an, an elevator, right? I can't remember what the phobia is called, but uh, uh, yeah, you'd have to, you'd, you'd first just look at the, just have a look at the the elevator and then um, and then little by little, you just get a step further every day to the yeah. elevator and until you're actually inside the elevator, you're going down and you're yeah. good because again, you're, you're, you're basically training your brain. Oh, wow. I can handle this. I don't, I don't yeah. have to fear this as much as I thought I did and I'm fine. And that's just, yeah. a, that's just a psychological truth. Uh, and I think with with uh, with seeking discomfort and cold ex- things like cold exposure, but everyone knows it's also like such as th- things like uh, exercising, right? It's it's uncomfortable, mm-hmm. but it's so rewarding because well, on the one hand, the yeah. reward so like counterbalances the initial discomfort, but also you're actually training your mind even when like going out for a jog or something like that. Like wow, I'm actually mm-hmm. so much more resilient. Than I than I believed I was, and I think that that people basically fear pain, the, as in they fear pain more than the actual experiencing of it, right? For um, sure, for sure. And right, and so so, and meditation can can really sure. help you with this. Sure, that that actually actually brings up uh, just I've also with Enter the Now that I mentioned earlier, I've guided a few cold exposure workshops where we went through the breathing method and then went into the cold water with the people and tried to guide them through it and always you just you see that it's all in the mind (laughs) you can really see it in in the other people they go in all tense because they're they're mentally they're apprehending (laughs) the cold so much because and then they start to feel that it's going to hurt and they focus so much on oh it's going to hurt more when i go in deeper whereas anyone who's experienced with, with cold exposure just knows to focus on the sensations and just be like yeah this is cold this is something i'm feeling right now and then focus on your breath let go be relaxed don't tense up basically eliminating the mental barriers and then they just go in there and they're comfortable almost and that's uh that's really powerful right i think this gets to the crux of uh, basically the connection between let's say seeking discomfort or pain and meditation right so I think it's exactly what you just said this this basically having a distance between what is happening to you right let's say the screen or the the, the world in front of you and your response to it and mm-hmm. so this distance is what allows you to not be so affected not be on autopilot not have the immediate response of oh my god oh my god my foot is in cold water rather than just being okay let, let me observe for a second let me just be an observant rather than a participant in this moment and then ha- so being an observant allows you this space that you that you didn't know you had because it it, it also allows you i mean this has been proven uh in in, in scientific uh studies right that 
that basically the people who who meditate uh, regularly, uh, they they are able to handle much more pain psychologically than people who don't, right? And it's it's what you said, the people who are running into the water uh, afraid uh, versus those, those who, who just let themselves kind of feel the cold without, let's say, feeling the pain of the cold, right? And, and, and the psychological element is yeah. really important. And that's also where it's really important to go in voluntarily. And uh, also we mentioned exposure therapy. If someone's afraid of an elevator, don't just shove them in there and then take them on the elevator. They have to <laughs> voluntarily <laughs> agree to this and do it in baby steps and uh, gradually expose themselves. But and, and this is what you just lined out here is the reason for that. Because if you do it voluntarily, you can kind of, instead of being lost in, in all the horrible thoughts about the thing that you're going to do that just instill fear and panic, you get to actually go into that more observant state and you get to replace the fear of the pain with just welcoming the pain as a sensation like any other. And that's, uh, that's really a very, a very empowering part of a mindfulness practice for sure. Yeah. And I think here, the key word to, to remember is detachment, right? This is again, right in the, in the center of, of, of Buddhist philosophy. Um, and so when meditating, um, there, so in your, in your meditation journey, you will come across something called yourself, right? You're observing yourself, you're, um, you're discovering what it is, you're looking for who's looking. You can you can phrase it that way, um, and it, it can be a bit tricky to 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 maybe understand this. Uh, and essentially, what you're getting at, idea again, ideally, what you're getting at is the realization that the self is an illusion. Now, when I say this, I realize that people who haven't, let's say, experienced this firsthand, might have a bit of difficulty understanding but also difficulty like accepting this like for instance that it's kind of it feels kind of uncomfortable thinking well what, what do you mean I, I don't exist it's confusing right like i'm here I can, I can experience things i have a body i have a i have a face that i can see in the mirror every morning uh and this guy is telling me i don't have a self that doesn't make any sense right so and and in fact uh in in buddhist in in some in some traditions because uh, there are many obviously but in some traditions they say to not intellectualize these things as in not do exactly what we're doing which is talking about first of all understanding the concept and then experiencing no 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 they 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 basically uh they advise you to experience it first and then talk about it but here i think in this context to get people maybe looking for for, 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 for this and, and maybe getting people curious about this, I think it's acceptable. Uh, so what is it exactly, you know, what is it exactly that is so confusing about looking for yourself? Yeah, so what, one thing I would like to mention, because it's a big statement to say the self is an illusion, but one that I agree <laughs> with for the most part, of course. But um, I mean, there is, of course, it depends on the context that you're looking at as well. Like if, if you're looking at in a society or in a group of 50 people, you, it does matter that they all, they're, they're all individuals that, that have, that have their own say personality. But the, as you, as you were saying, as a matter of experience, really, 
the self doesn't hold up to the challenge basically the 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 longer you spend practicing meditation the more it tends to disappear and or or you you kind of pierce through that feeling of self but yeah um First of all, we'd have to kind of say what the self is. So, like the, you can also call it the ego, right? That that feeling of I. Well, as I was mentioning earlier, when you're just when thoughts come to you, they quite literally come out of nowhere. They kind of appear in in consciousness, basically. And um, your choice of identifying with each and every thought that arises is kind of what you call self. So as a person with a, pers- a certain personality will have certain thoughts that occur and they identify in relationship to the kind of thoughts they get. If that, right. if that doesn't sound too confusing. No, 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 no. I think it, no, I think you did a good job. Uh, and, and maybe to, to help uh, explain further how to conceptualize this um maybe an analogy would be helpful so let's say i mean the way that i i usually try to explain it to myself because i i have to i have to re-explain it to myself multiple times uh to to even grab because it is it is not straightforward right we're not we're not used to usually looking for who's looking right it's just uh, this is me and uh and that's it that's uh, that's how the world works and when people look at you that's a reaffirmation that you are you and you have this personality and you have this these thoughts and emotions and that's it that's end of the story but that's the thing this is where it gets interesting it's not the end of the story really the more you observe rather than participate again using those words the more you realize okay so basically your experience is kind of like a movie that's unraveling in front of your eyes, right? You're the main character, obviously. Everyone's their own main character in the movie that that's called Life. And things happen to us and we react to them, usually without much thought in the process. It just kind of unravels and the thoughts that appear in your mind, they, they come and go and you have no no control over them right and they can as you said they can spiral even out of control and that's that's the 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 negative aspect of that and uh and if you kind of observe this all this happening and you take a moment to click pause on on your movie that's really what you're doing when you're meditating you're kind of you're clicking pause on the movie that's your life and you're realizing whoa okay so i'm actually i can i can be in this role i can be the role of the actor who's who has this role and these relationships, or I can actually take that moment when I meditate, and ideally, again, this translates to when you're not meditating, but first, initially, when you are meditating, you you become this spectator, right? You, you, you're you kind of the guy in the, in the movie theater who's watching the movie and reminds himself, oh, this is a movie. I forgot. I was so pulled into it that I, I, I was so dragged into it that I kind of forgot. And... And it's that that is that realization that that the self is an illusion in the sense that you observing yourself act almost right even in the sentence when I'm when I'm speaking to you I don't necessarily know how I'm going to finish my sentence it my brain does it for me and I can kind of realize in this moment wow I don't even I don't it's it's a huge weight that's kind of lifted off your shoulder it means. You don't actually have to be your own boss all the time, 
right? You, the company runs itself. That's kind of a, a good way to look at it, right? There's no CEO. You're just there. You're, you're kind of there for the ride. You're, you're there for the experience and, and everything happens by itself. And um, obviously, this is where we can get into an, an interesting discussion on, on, on free will, because again, essentially, the statement of saying, okay, the self is an illusion has a consequence on, okay, so who makes the decisions? If not I, then right. who? Um, yeah. Right. So, so that, that's probably interesting to get into. But first, your reaction. So exactly this, this aspect of you in the, sitting in the movie theater. I really like that analogy, actually, because it, it, it really it, it does hold up. Because you, uh, on top of that, we tend to think our, of ourselves or our life story in a, a movie kind of way. We don't have an, a realistic um, image of the objective world when we think back to our past or when we think about anything. We always kind of have a distorted version of reality, which kind of resembles a movie. We always think of ourselves in the main character position. Mm, yeah. And yes, yeah, so when you're watching a movie and you're really... So you're so into the movie that you, you've forgotten everything else. That's kind of the day-to-day the -day state, the non-mindful, let's say, state that that you can experience in your day-to-day -day life where you're you're not taking that step to, like you said, the, the company's running itself. So you're just, things are happening. You're the main character, just series of events and no, no one really kind of observing those. But then if you're really engulfed in them, like engrossed in a movie and then someone taps your shoulder, all of a sudden you're aware that you're this, just this kind of <laughs> observer and you see, Oh, I'm just yeah. watching an image on mm -hmm. a box move. I'm, <laughs> this is, mm -hmm. this movie is not reality basically. And it, it, that's the freeing aspect right. of, of making these realizations by not, mm -hmm. you don't have to, be engrossed in the movie you don't you don't have to subscribe that every to everything that appears in your mind if you if you don't like the movie you can take more distance from it mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and and i mean even not not to try to stretch this analogy too far but you can even change movie theaters right you can change the movie that you're watching if this one and Obviously, this is not to go get into like woohoo stuff and like, oh my God, you can change your life from one second to the next. I mean, no, that's not how easy it is, right? It takes a lot of practice. And, but, but it is about realizing that there's this distance and that, that does change the quality of, of the movie in a, in a way, right? So, like, so it's not so much that you're acting differently, right? That's not, it's not so much that. It's more realizing that there, there is no need especially because you can react differently. Uh, you can, yeah. when, when, when the world kind of unfolds the way it does, and really there isn't that much control you have over it, as much as you want to think that you're in control of everything, most of your life doesn't, isn't really according to your control. Uh, there's so much uncertainty. And, and so, um, and I think this also connects to, uh, to, to this this uh, the Greek philosophy, which is also very linked to 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 Buddhism, which is Stoicism, right? This notion of uh, whatever unfolds 
is out of my con uh, outside of me is out of my control and really the only thing that i can control is myself and my own reaction to yeah. things that's really where the control lies if there is any control and if we're thinking about this 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 question around okay so how much control do i have well this is the, this is really the paradox of meditation which is to realize that but by realizing that you have little control over what you do you actually gain so much control in your emotional state right which is which is really what your life is about it's that you can think that your life is all about the movie that you're watching and getting absorbed into it and getting into the characters and the plot but really your life is about the experience of watching the movie and that experience of watching that is what meditation yeah, taps into basically. exactly a consciousness and its contents and and if you have that little control within your conscious awareness that that just changes that that's the that's the lever that that pulls whatever the the aristotle i think it was aristotle uh, give me a high enough lever and i'll 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 you know, I'll move the, the the world. Well, that is your world. That is that is yeah. your. Yeah. Another way world. to put it would be basically changing your perception, because the exact same things can be happening around you, but based on how you choose to perceive them, you'll experience them very, very differently. I mean, a, a, a classic, mm. a very simple example of this is if you suddenly get, you know, pain in your back muscles out of nowhere you're going to start to worry about it, especially if it persists for a couple of days. And and the, the pain is just going to bother you a lot because each time that you feel pain, unconsciously you're going to think, okay, there's something wrong with my back. I'm going to have to get this checked. It could be you know, a worse form of thing, a, a, a disease or a chronic illness, who knows. Whereas if you feel the exact same, the exact same sensory information, from having, you know, done your personal record on deadlifts the day before, you're going to feel a lot differently about the exact same pain. So the exact same sensation in your mm. body is going to make you feel so good about the personal record that you hit yesterday. And so right. kind of piercing through what we attach to everything that we perceive. Because it's like it's like we our perception gives labels to everything that enters awareness. Mm. And based on that label, whatever enters right. it is is felt a certain way. And so, yeah, you, mm -hmm. you can definitely combine meditation and stoicism there by trying to attach a more mm. productive label to to something in that sense. Yeah. Reminds me of the Shakespeare quote, nothing is either good or bad, but thinking makes it so. That is so very accurate. That really, the thinking around what's going on is really the, the the center of of experience which is your life Exp consciousness uh that that's that's who you are and uh before we get more into also uh understanding the relationship between so then understanding um not having a self what, what does it mean again because obviously we can we can talk about this for ages but also it's uh, implication on uh on, on free will before we before we do that, I did realize while you were talking that we hadn't distinguished um, pain and suffering yet, and I I wanted to just take a moment to to do that because really there is a huge difference, and and the the difference for me 
is psychological, right? Pain is the thing mm. that you can experience and it's, it's uncomfortable, but it's not necessarily bad. So if we're thinking about the labels, we wouldn't give it the label bad, even though automatically you want to go, okay, pain, avoid, because that's the, that's the evolutionary, um, the evolutionary response to that, right? Avoid pain, go to pleasure. But as we all know, in the modern world, that's not, it's not so as easy as that. Some people strive for pain when they're working out. <laughs> exactly. And that, that's the thing. So that, that's what makes it weird, right? So why would you strive for pain? Well, and then, and then the suffering is the, it has the psychological aspect of it, um, which I would say is, is kind of, it's kind of like aimless pain. It's, it's pain without direction. It's pain without the distance between you and what, what is going on, right? The, the, the distance that we were talking about, the, the non-attachment aspect of it, right? Uh, it's being involved, completely involved in the, the, the discomfort and taking no less than n- nothing out of it. And, and, and that's what makes it unnecessary, right? So, so and, and suffering is, uh, it's called, in, in Sanskrit, it's dukkha, um, which uh, for Buddhists are kind of like the one, again, one of the three essential truths, right? So, so again, our, our culture kind of, or at least a, a part of our culture doesn't distinguish between those two. And that's, that's a real, real thing because that, that's the problem. Because again, when you, when you're striving towards something and it's, it's uncomfortable, that's what gives it the the meaning, right? That's what gives it the I think the suffering worth. also requires a sense of, of self, basically, or a, a, an awareness of self. That suffering is, mm. I mean, you take the pain and you kind of push the ego into it, <laughs> and they're with it, and right. uh, and you have all the emotional pain that can <laughs> come from that, basically, that suffering. So it's like an equation that uh, suffering equals pain plus ego. <laughs> <laughs> you can put that on a t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> definitely. Uh, okay, so now to move on to, uh, to, to free will, because this is, um, this is really... And, and by the way, just a little note to the listeners. If you have any questions about our sources or where we get our information from visit samharris.org please you'll find all the, all the answers you need on there uh, i wanted to, i wanted to take the, the the moment just to acknowledge that because um if you're if you're wondering about these things these questions and you want to you want to learn more about this um really dan and i we're, we're big meditation uh, we're big uh, sam harris fans and he has this amazing app that would i would really recommend to anyone yeah uh, every, called everything Waking we've up. learned about meditation has been through sam harris pretty much yeah at least at least initially for sure mm-hmm. and so to, to to recognize that uh i think is is a little necessary preamble and and it's not a paid advert i I wish it was i wish sam harris would would sponsor me but no this is purely out of goodwill uh it's amazing it's the best meditation app in the game so check it out (laughs) just a little tip for for whoever is curious um but yeah so so and and again sam harris does talk about uh free will so I wanted to I wanted to go to this question of free will. So the implication of not having a self. 
Dan, what do you think? What what why does one why is the self or this this uh, this notion of the absence of the self, which you would ideally um, attain through meditation, right? It's part of part of enlightenment um, or part of being enlightened. And so, how is that connected to you know not having? Well, <laughs> <laughs> not not an easy question, is it? No, no. Um, uh, I think I'll start with a bit of a an example or a story that. So if if you basically depending on your so this helped me understand it when I first started thinking about these things, what depending on the social circle you you are in, your your personality changes quite a bit, or or yourself in that sense changes quite a bit. We really have this tendency to adapt to uh, to our surroundings, but not only that, also everything we experience changes our brain and af- affects us in some way or another. And so, yeah, if, if you're just surround, if you have a certain type of, of friend, you're you're going to be a, a different, a slightly different person than if you have a different type of friend. And that aggregately means that you know your environment determines fifty percent of who you are, pretty much. The rest being genetics, of course. And so, based on well, so. Every every one and everything you've interacted with in the world has led to the person that you are now. And did you truly choose to interact with everything and everyone that you have thus far, or have there been you know tons of coincidences that just because you happened to step into the bar on that day, you met this one person who later introduced you to the to the person who ends up being the love of your life, for instance. Mm. These are like huge coincidences mm. that we don't control but that really shape who we become and so that's a good way to to see how a, a different a different lens through which to see the phrase this the the self the sense of self is an illusion basically that you're mm. you, you could have gone so many different ways than the way you've gone and you would be mm. a different person had you gone in all these ways and you didn't quite choose the way that life put you on mm. right so so you're saying you're saying that basically you you didn't you didn't choose the influences that kind of built who you are no i mean uh the the, the basically your parents and and exactly. how you were raised your friends your your surrounding but also obviously your genes right which is a huge part exactly. of who you are exactly. uh, uh maybe even uncomfortably so because uh, I mean, I, I mean, I've talked to my parents, for instance, about this, uh, and they they did they did uh, agree to it. Um, basically, they were saying, yeah, like uh, from a very early age, me, my sister, my brother, we had very different personalities. Like even even a- as young as like kids of the age of like two, you know, you can see it. You can see it. I mean, my for instance, in my exactly. household right now. <laughs> right now my my parents they've uh well they, they haven't quite adopted a kid yet but they've uh that they're the foster parents to to a, a child of, of well almost two years old her birthday is next month yippee hooray uh and she basically yeah she she acts in very very different ways to when i was a kid and i, I or that to when my little brother was a kid because um, my little brother we have a, an age difference of almost well, for me, eight years. So, 
so I could see really him develop, and and I can I can compare between him and and uh, Haley, my now my new little sister, and she yeah she acts in very very different ways. For instance, I mean she she always hugs people goodbye uh, when she goes to uh, and kisses people goodbye. My little brother never did that. <laughs> uh, she <laughs> she she likes to play with with different with different uh, games, right? I mean she for instance. Uh, is very interested in everything that is related to like um, uh, the, the, like a little car uh, in our in our in our house, and my little brother was much less in, into that. But there there are countless there are countless ways in which you can already see differences. And so my point was, yes, genes play a huge role. Surrounding plays a huge role, mm-hmm. and you didn't you didn't choose all these things right you didn't choose to be who you are and then i think people do get uncomfortable through this notion because then you're like okay so do can i even attribute any success that i've had in my life or can i um am i am i responsible for anything in my life and that's that's a little uncomfortable i think Mm -hmm. uh, to think about but at the same time there's a, there's the opposite side of that coin, right? There's there's the also the relief and the understanding of of realize of of this realization. Yeah, one thing that's important to stress is saying that that we do not have free will does not mean that there are no consequences to our actions. So we we do make choices in our lives. And depending on what we choose, we end up in a different place, obviously. So it's not like, oh, we have no free will, then I can, you know, live my life however, or just stop making decisions because fate is going to whatever, take care of it. No. (laughs) (laughs) Um, All it means is, okay, many, many times per day, even you make decisions, you choose between a finite or even infinite number of options but you do not control the thing that made you choose to do A instead of B. That's, mm, that's what mm. it means, really. It mm. still matters whether you choose A or whether you choose B. Yeah, it's, not yeah. like a, it's not like all your decisions become irrelevant. You, you basically can't understand or explain truly why you made one decision and not another. It's just it's based on everything you've experienced in your genetics, like we've talked about. No, you're, you're right to point that out. Um... Because yeah, one almost assumed consequence of thinking, okay, I don't do I if I don't possess free will, I don't have to put any effort, right? Everything is predestined. I don't have to exert any energy into things. Things will just happen anyways, uh, and that is the trap that you shouldn't fall into if you're if you're thinking about these questions. Um, and uh, importantly, well, if you are. Uh, one realization to make to understand you know these questions around free will is uh do i have control over as you said do i have control over what i want right i can i can want things and that is a for instance if i'm thinking of uh buying a a flavor of ice cream right and uh there's strawberry there's chocolate there's vanilla uh do i choose the chocolate ver- the the chocolate if that's my favorite, do I actually choose the the chocolate? Well, yes, you do. You pick it out. But did you choose to want the chocolate? Did you did you actually um, 
exert any control over your preference. And I think that's the thing that is key to to realize that, wow, you don't control everything that runs through your brain and, and runs through what will essentially be your 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 decisions in life. Um, it still matters that you choose the chocolate because you'll enjoy it much more. But again, uh, it's it's not about it's not about that. It's it's about realizing that there are all these influences and all these create um, yeah all all of these factors in your life that you have absolutely no control over. Mm-hmm. It's just one voice in your head just went chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like, oh, exactly. I want chocolate. <laughs> right. Exactly. Well, there are some there are some freaky experiments that that are made uh, uh, around this, and this is. Things like um, there's an experiment where people are put in a room and they have to pull or they have to I, press a button. I think they have the the right choice, left choice. This is if if free will exists anywhere, it will be in this decision, right? Either press right or left. You're there to choose. Now they they attach these you know brain scans or these I'm not sure what what they're called, but they're basically they basically analyze your brain while you're making your decision, and it turns out that they can predict your decision before you're even aware that you've made it. Now that's freaky, right? Yes. That 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 it, that's yeah. a sign that basically your subconscious in your subconscious you, there's tons of things yeah. happening that you're absolutely not aware of and those then influence mm-hmm. if we're if we're thinking about why do I why do I act the way you act? Well, that's 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 the that's the reason. Um and I, I, yeah, it's it's a great demonstration of this truth that basically um, if you just kind of, it, it, I would actually wonder whether meditators, whether it still works with meditators, like let's say you were to meditate during this experiment and you could like trick the, <laughs> trick the technology, but no, um, there is no freedom in your choice. Yeah, and the, uh, a meditator, all he does is observe the fact that the subconscious whispered one word into or a thought into <laughs> into his head in this case chocolate mm. whereas someone someone who's not an avid meditator is just going to think oh this is you know my my full self saying chocolate like this is what the ego not separating it into ego of course but just thinking without being aware that it's just a thought thinking chocolate <laughs> right Exactly. And and it, it does, again, if we're thinking the the flip side to you, the initial reaction, which might be, uh, that sounds weird. Uh, and also, I don't like that prospect. I don't like to think that I'm just a an AI machine uh, and, and making these, these calculated uh, decisions independently of whatever I call myself. Um, but the flip side to that is really just kind of being more compassionate to others, but being more compassionate to yourself, right? Not being so hard on yourself. And that's what I mean by, by absolving this weight from your, from your, from your, uh, from your shoulders, because it's, we, we, we tend to be very harsh with ourselves. I, I know that I am to myself and where we would, if you were to know how harsh your friends are to themselves, you would tell them, oh my God, like I would never let anyone treat you that way. And then why do you treat yourself that way, right? 
and uh, and so just mm-hmm. to give a, a consequence to, to to this kind of meditation um, uh, realization, you could say, is yeah, you you can you can be much more understanding, much more peaceful, at peace with yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. You you always treat yourself worse in a sense than you would treat another person. And uh, and that is the reason for it because you think that you had, or you, or you, you yeah that you had uh, active control over everything that's brought you here, and therefore there's more of someone to blame than with another person that you didn't you're you're not you don't feel responsible for how they are. Right. Basically. No, of course. Um, and then a second uh, realization that that you can make after let's say accepting <laughs> i hope i hope this doesn't come across as like indoctrination me going free will doesn't exist the self doesn't exist there we go that's the end of the lesson no these are obviously these are difficult difficult questions and not straightforward so don't take every don't take my word for it experience it for yourself uh but continue meditating I, I would say that's the rule number one because obviously you can be skeptical, um, but if you haven't really noticed anything, there's really nothing to be gained, right? So this is really just an incentive to 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 meditate and to say, okay, there, there's still these these uh, these things that I can learn uh, uh, along the road, and um, and what I've tried to do with this season two of a very mindful podcast is to kind of illuminate some of the initial realizations that you can make and then some of the more difficult ones and i think this this episode serves to to understand some of the more difficult ones and really the this notion of not having a self and and then still thinking about free free will these are really things that upon realize it takes a lot of effort but upon realizing these things and getting glimpses of this because it's not all or nothing. It's not you realize it or you don't realize it. It's an ongoing training. And uh, upon, you know, uh, gaining from this training, you you really do become a more, a more, a more um, stable person, right? A more equanimous person. Yeah. And I, I think um, having compassion is one of the great things that, or one, one of the great, benefits as well of meditating is to be a better person for those around you and that it's it's all it's all for that same reason that if you can if you can observe what happens before you react like you said you gain more emotional stability you're you're able to be a better person to those around you like if if someone says something that and you you instinctively start to get really hurt by it and it's just a misunderstanding if you have this huge emotional reaction, if it just instantly triggers you and then, you know, a year of resentment comes vomiting out of you at them, then, then <laughs> you, your relationship is going to be less well off. Or if you, yeah, if you say the thing that's going to ruin your relationship to your girlfriend for the next 48 hours that just slips <laughs> out of you, it, it, it would relate to that be one. better to... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, if you're if you're able to, to notice when when angry thoughts arise, notice them as thoughts. You can kind of choose how you're going to react a lot more by by changing your perception and also maybe changing the story that you tell us yourself about what you heard. Like if someone says something 
in a complaining manner instead of taking it as, oh, she always complains at me. Uh, she's wrong because to, to complain that much, I deserve this, this, and that. That's kind of, you know, your ego talking to you, but you, you obviously, in those moments, it's really easy to, to think this is the only way to objectively see this scenario or this situation. When in fact, you can just kind of reframe the whole thing into, well, let's, let's see, what, what is she complaining about, really? And, oh, maybe I, I do do this too much, and maybe she's right to point it out and just kind mm. of be, just having a more open mind, a calmer reaction, and just to, to make it more constructive in the end. It can really, really help your relationships. Right, right, right. Well, I think something that you said uh, that struck with me was this, yeah, this this idea of, of also shedding shedding the ego, um, not being so obsessed yeah. with and defensive on, on your own part, because really what also you're doing when you're meditating and this is something that i mentioned uh in in a in a theory episode on this podcast so um listen to that one but uh is that yes it's not about necessarily ignoring your emotions right it's actually doing the opposite it's it's um it's it's basically noticing them more and by and by actually allowing them and 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 dealing with them yourself you you know again you get that distance okay, and you no longer to them. right right and you no longer you know you no longer are manipulated by them in a way right uh, on autopilot and and then and then something else that i wanted mm-hmm. to point out is that there are obviously every emotion serves a role serves a purpose but then there are some times where you know you know that what you're what you're feeling or what you're what you're thinking is just it's just it will bring unnecessary suffering right unnecessary pain um and and the way there is to is to recognize when there when it's unnecessary well the, there's um a thinker called uh daniel goleman right and who who wrote the book uh, emotional intelligence right he, he puts it also in in terms of destructive emotions right so it, destructive emotions are those that don't they don't lead to anything good and you know it and in that in that um in that moment it's that's the moment where you have to stop and and listen or and 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 observe your your emotions and mm-hmm. and and basically then you your ego deflate your ego and this is what where it connects to to not being uh not not recognizing that you don't have a self you also become less selfish right it's a it's a it's an immediate consequence of of no longer being so obsessed with yourself is to recognize that it's to recognize others others uh, feelings and and by being other centered rather than self-centered it's just um mm-hmm. i mean it's it's one of the golden rules right it's to that that brings you much more much more happiness in the end than anything else really and uh, we can all we can all think of, for instance, when we're in conversation with other people. So often we're we're so suck in, sucked into our self concern that we keep thinking of what we're going to say next to try to impress this person. And by doing that, we don't even listen to them. You know, we don't even mm. observe what they're saying. And uh, and and yeah, it's it's easier to be a better friend if you actually well you'll come across as a better friend if you actually listen to people when they talk to you. 
And I think it's uh, worth clarifying what we mean by even observing emotions and reactions to things because it's so easy to, to, yeah, to, to conceptualize it a bit because it's easy mm-hmm. to say, okay, I'm angry. And then, okay, I'm supposed to pay attention to that. So, okay, I'm angry. And now I'm kind of angry that I'm angry. <laughs> but then, of course, if you think that, then <laughs> then you're, you're stuck in this thinking process and you're not actually paying attention. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's worth clarifying that um, a, a good way to think about it is to become curious about it. So if you feel anger, be like, do I, where, where do I physically feel this? Because like you said, a lot of this comes from the unconscious, your unconscious releases a bunch of hormones or suddenly you feel it in your chest, your heart rate rises or something, and then you only become consciously aware of it because you're now physiologically aroused by it. So yeah, paying attention to physically, where do you even feel this anger or sadness? And really becoming curious about that and paying close attention will make it cease a lot quicker than if you keep thinking about why you're angry and justifying to yourself why you should be angry. Mm. Yeah, because as long as you identify with your emotion, you're actually thinking, you're not observing. It's almost like an immediate thing where if you're observing, you no, you no longer can, you can't stay angry for that long when you're observing because you're, you're, the, the, the emotion itself is dependent on you thinking it right it's almost a a definition uh problem right but uh, something that i wanted to say uh in response to what you said earlier uh about um if you're when you're not really listening to someone or when you know you're constantly thinking about yourself and uh, i actually caught myself doing that in this in this very podcast and when you said that uh, i immediately you know enjoyed enjoyed the present moment so much more just looking at you and and talking to you so (laughs) thanks for thanks for reminding me but uh but yeah yeah destructive emotions very important point actually it's 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 worth pointing out we are no experts at this being so good at this to that that every single thought you have you actually recognize as as a thought and having full control over the way you react in every moment that's that's dreamlike <laughs> yeah. it's achievable by maybe the people who've done 40,000 hours of meditation or something but mm. we've made a conscious effort to incorporate it in our lives and definitely i feel that the more i practice the better i am to people around me the more i think of them the more kind of compassionate i am towards them and the more I just take everything, really everything that I'm experiencing in with a light sense of, you know, loving awareness, just, you, you know, you can walk on a very mundane day, you can just be walking and have a neutral facial expression, or you can just appreciate the world around you and take it all in with a bit of a smile, which is another like very small but significant thing that mindfulness brings you, just appreciating everything that's here. The fact that we're breathing, the fact that we can have these conversations, just kind of taking a step back from all the stresses of life, having this moment to ourselves to to be able to smell the air. Yeah, <laughs> Look at step the sky. down from, step, stop being absorbed by the, the movie screen that's in front of you and actually enjoy yeah. being in the, in, the, in the theater, right? <laughs> so Be in the now. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think that's a it's a great great place to to end. Uh, Dan, thank you so much for for coming on. Uh, it was really such a such a pleasure talking to you. It's been such a pleasure. Yeah, thank you so much <laughs> for having me on. If you enjoyed listening to this episode or found it useful, then please share it with a friend. If you're interested in knowing more about the podcast or other projects undertaken by the Center for Innovation at Leiden University, then you can find us under Center for Innovation with the number four in it.org. So centerforinnovation.org. See you in the next episode of a very mindful podcast. <laughs>